Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bible and go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 13. Mark chapter 13 for our time together around God's word this morning. Mark chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Mark chapter 13 this morning. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God? Mark chapter 13. We're going to turn our attention to verse number 34. So across the top of the page, you'll find the word Mark. Look for big number 13. That's the chapter. And the small number 34, that's the verse. And that's how you'll find where we are reading this morning from the Word of God. Mark 34, and we're going to read down to verse number 37. Before we read the scripture, let me tell you, I remember when we were dropping our kids off for school at the beginning of the school year. Now, I know we're in the middle of the summer and nobody wants to think about school, but it's coming. Whether you, want it, whether you like it or not, it's coming. And I remember every year at the beginning of school, it seemed like for a few weeks at a time, we would drop our kids off and they would go weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth into the school classroom. They didn't want to go in there. They they, they did not like going to school. They were always asking questions. Well, when is it going to be over? Well, it hasn't even started yet, so it's going to be quite some time, okay? When when are you going to come back and pick me up? When am I going to eat for lunch? What if people don't like me? Right? All these questions are asking You're just dragging them in the classroom. You get them in there, you close the door, and you run as fast as you can. Remember when you dropped your kids off for school? Remember that whole process? Some of you, your children were doing that in the nursery on your way in. We heard them. You know what you're always telling your kids when they're doing that? You're saying, listen, I love you. I'm going to come back and get you. Don't worry. That's what they're worried about, isn't it? Th- in their mind, they're thinking, you might not come back and get me. And so you're assuring them, I'm going to come back. It's just, just a little bit. You're going to play. You're going to read some. You're going to learn some letters. You're going to take a nap. You're going to have a, a yogurt, a chocolate pudding cup. And then, and then I'll be back to get you. They don't, they don't, they don't want to be forgotten. That's their fear. And however much we grow, we have the same fears in our lives. We're afraid of being forgotten. And so the Lord is teaching us in this passage. I've gone away, but I haven't forgotten you. And I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And what Mark chapter 13, what the entire chapter is, we've studied this already, but what the entire chapter is, is it's teaching us how we can live, how we can live right now. In spite of the fears we have, the frustrations or the failures. How we can live with confidence, with discernment, with courage. And here it is today, with an expectation. Look at verse 34, for the Son of Man... The title, the Son of Man, is a title given to Jesus. That's that's a title that they referred to him as. So we could say, for Jesus is as a man taking a far journey. Who left his house, he gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. So the word porter literally means the doorkeeper. He said, he told the guy at the door, keep watch for me, I'm coming back. Look at verse 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Watch. The word watch literally means expect this to happen. Live with this expectation. Jesus is coming back. 
live with this expectation. Jesus is coming to get you. He hasn't forgotten you. Live with this expectation. You will see Jesus. You will see him again. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word in our lives. And give us what we stand in need of. Father, I pray that you'd speak to my heart. Father, give me an anticipation, a proper expectation. Remind me. You haven't forgotten. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We do not know what the future holds. We can't even begin to guess what the future may hold. But as uncertain as the future may be, we can have an expectation and an anticipation that God is ruling, that God is reigning, that God is working it all for our good. Now listen, he doesn't say that it is all good. He says he works it all for our good. He takes every moment of your life, however uh, difficult, however hard, however, however dark, ha however terrible, however painful it may have been or may be. And he uses it for our good. No matter how uncertain tomorrow may look, God holds tomorrow. God holds tomorrow. That's the promise of the Bible. And so what he is asking the disciples, and by way of asking the disciples, he's asking us. What he is asking them to do is to live in those uncertain moments of life, to live with a watchfulness. That's what he's saying in the text. He set the watch. He gave watch. Verse 35, he's commanding them, watch. He's telling you in verse 37, I'm not just saying this to the doorkeeper. I'm saying this to everyone. I say it to you all. Live with an expectation. Live with an anticipation. The, the, the word watch can, can literally mean don't fall asleep. Pay attention. I feel like that's a good, I think that's a, that's a good title for Sunday morning sermon. Don't fall asleep. Some of you, you're really close already. I'm, I see you. Listen to the words of Jesus. Don't fall asleep. Why? Because he's coming back. That you and I ought to be living our life with an expectation that we will see Jesus again. He gave the promise to the disciples in John chapter 14. I'm going away, but let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if I go up to prepare a place for you, I will, listen, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. That's a promise from Jesus. And I wonder, in my own heart, has that promise become dull, boring, routine, mundane? A am I living my life with a love and a care for the things of this world rather than a love and a concern for the things of God? A am I more excited about earthly things than I am about eternal things. Am I expecting a big return on my investments here on this earth? And am I, am I not expecting a great return from my Christ who died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave? How many of you ever, you ever flown on a plane before? Let me see, raise your hand. You've flown on a plane before? Before? If you, if you have flown on a plane, they, they do this set of instructions uh, before the plane takes off. The, the flight attendants stand up and they tell you what to do in case of an emergency. And on every flight, they, they kind of say the same thing. Every flight, every day, every airline, it's always about the same thing. Your seat buckle buckles like this, and to unbuckle it, you buckle it like that. And should you need oxygen, it drops from here. Put yours on first before you put anybody else's on them. And, and, and if the plane's dropping, don't worry, your seat floats. I don't know how that's helpful, but it floats. 
It seems like it should be a parachute rather than a floating device, but nonetheless. Every flight, the same thing. Every day, the same thing. And everyone on the plane has the same response when they start going down the list. You know what the response is? No one's pulling out a notepad and pen and taking notes. No one raises their hand. Uh, excuse me, flight attendant, before we go any further. Exactly where did you say the emergency exits were? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. I was busy writing down how to use my seat as a flotation device, even though I'm not flying over any large bodies of water. No one's taking notes. No one's paying attention. Everyone has their headphones on. They have their face in the device. They're typing away frantically. They're, they're reading something. They're, they're shuffling in their seat. They aren't paying attention. You, you know why? I, th I think several reasons why. One of the reasons why I think we don't pay attention is because most flight attendants, when they're giving this speech, they look bored out of their minds. They're like emotionless. Just doing it very quickly. Here, drops here, clicks here, goes there. That's it. It's all you get out of them. You're not getting anything else. No one's shaking. The plane might be on fire. Imagine. Well, okay, I'm listening. I think, uh, I think another reason is everyone's been on a plane before. You're used to it. I think the, the main reason why we don't pay attention is we think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It won't happen to us. It won't be me. And I think the same way in which we grow deaf to the instruction of a flight attendant, we grow deaf to the warning of Jesus. I am coming to get you. So watch for me. Watch for me. Live for me. Pursue me. It's the most frequent commandment in the Bible, as a matter of fact. It's 260 chapters in the New Testament. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. One out of every 13 verses in your New Testament mentions the fact that Jesus is coming again one day. Almost every commandment in the New Testament is tied in some way to the second coming of Jesus. Meaning do this or don't do that. Live for this, don't live for that. Pursue this, forsake that. Think this, don't think that. Almost every one of them are tied to the second coming of Jesus. Why? Because he's coming back soon. He's coming back soon, so don't think of life in this way. Instead, think of life in this way. Because he's coming back soon, don't pursue these kind of earthly uh, possessions or lust or pleasures. Instead, pursue these things which are eternal and long-lasting. Things that exist for a million years from now. Not simply live with you for a 15-minute period, but something that will exist long, long after this life. For every, prof for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Jesus' first coming, there are eight prophecies that talk about Jesus' second coming. One to eight. Think of that. We, we have a, an entire holiday where it takes up a whole month that celebrates the first coming of Jesus, and I think that's right to do so. We celebrate Christmas, but the Bible talks eight times as much about us seeing Jesus again. There's no second coming of, Chris, of, of Jesus uh, holiday in our world, and yet this is what the Bible is presenting us with. 
You say, well, well Pastor, why, why does the Bible talk about it so much? Because it helps to keep our balance in the Christian life. It helps us to check our heart and check our passions and check our pursuits. It calls us to question just, just going through the course of life in routine and mundane ways. It calls us to fight against the stream of this world that you and I are not just to float in the direction that the world takes us. We aren't like every other fish in the stream. We're, fight, we're called to fight the current, to believe in Christ, to hold to his word, to pursue him, to love him, and not just love him on a Sunday morning, but to love him every day of every week of every minute, to love him with all that we are, mind, soul, spirit, Spirit, strength, to love God in this way is the greatest commandment that's ever been given, Jesus says. I think it talks of this so much in this way because we, the Lord knows how prone we are to wander. That's what the songwriter says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God that I love. How easy we get pulled into the temptations of this world. How easy it is for us, like Pilgrim, to step off into the field of distraction. To take our eyes off of the prize that we are moving toward a holy city whose builder, his maker, is God. And how easy we, on our journey, forget and Jesus is coming back. And we will see him one day. Maybe today. Maybe today. It causes us to ask the question, doesn't it? Am I ready to see Jesus? Would I be, would I be, would I be happy Seeing Jesus face to face before the end of the day today. There's two ways that you will see Jesus according to the Bible. Will he be raptured away? Jesus descends to the cloud. He calls us home to glory. All those who have believed in Jesus will be raptured away. Literally snatched off of the earth. That's what the word rapture means. Snatched off of the earth to be with Jesus forever in heaven. So we're either raptured away. That's the event that's talking about in the text that we just read a moment ago. Or we'll go see Jesus a, a more natural way, which is by death. The Bible says for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But either way, whether by rapture or by death, you will find yourself standing face to face with God. You will find yourself standing face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't help but ask myself, am I ready for that? Have I loved my wife in a way that I'm prepared to see Jesus? Have I loved Amanda in a way that Amanda is prepared to see Jesus? Have I fostered in her a love for Jesus, a concern for Jesus, a, a concern for the things of God? Or, 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 or have I frustrated her? Are my kids ready to see Jesus? Are they prepared to stand in front of God? Have I loved them and, and, and instructed them and nurtured them in such a way that should they see Jesus today, they're prepared, they're ready. That I haven't provoked them to anger. That I haven't, I haven't fathered them in a way that would cause them to look less on their heavenly father, not more on their heavenly father. Have I pastored this church in such a way that should you see Jesus by the end of the day today that you're ready for that? Have we challenged you enough to grow your faith? Have we instructed you enough in the word of God that has built up your faith that you're ready to see Jesus by the end of the day? Have I been the kind of friend to my friends that they're ready to see Jesus? Have I cried with them? Have I laughed with them? Have I been there for them? It's easy to mourn with those that mourn. 
It's easy to weep with somebody's weeping when they've lost something. It's easy to come alongside, oh, poor you, poor you, because we kind of feel good about ourselves. It's something altogether different to rejoice when they rejoice. To be happy that somebody else got something that we wanted. Have I been the kind of friend? Am I ready to see Jesus? Are you? I'm asking you this morning. Are you ready to see Jesus? Are you ready to see Jesus? The passage is really all about that. It's about being prepared. You see it in really in two ways. Notice first, there's the arrival of the Antichrist. This really begins in verse number 14. Verse 14, all the way down to verse number 23. And Jesus is warning that there comes along the course and path and direction of this life, there comes one who is pulling us away. Isn't leading us toward Christ. In fact, he's referred to in the Bible as the Antichrist, which literally means opposite. He's the Antichrist. He's the instead of, he's the opposite. Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to do a full dive into his character and his nature. You can, you can go back and listen to past sermons about that. We spent last fall, we spent an entire maybe 13 weeks, 12 or 13 weeks, going through the characters that make up the end times and the Antichrist, an entire sermon that we dedicated to that as we walked through the book of Revelation. So I won't do that all this morning, but just, just note what Jesus is pointing out about this individual. He says in verse 14, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation... Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. Let him that readeth understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. So the scripture teaches us that a man will be raised up by Satan who will lead this all-out rebellion against God and against the people of God. And the man comes onto the scene and he promises peace, but he cannot deliver any. He promises life, but he cannot deliver any. He promises hope, but he has no hope to offer. But he promises, when he comes onto the scene, to be the, to be the answer for everybody's problems. Now look here, because this is important. I want you to understand this. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got problems. You may think your problems are greater than everybody else's, but you need to understand everybody has problems. And you know why everybody has problems? Because we are all sinful people. Now, your problems may be different than my problems. My problems may be different than your problems, but we have problems nonetheless. I wrestle with the same flesh in the same world and with the same devil that you wrestle with. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible teaches us that these are our three enemies that all of us wrestle with in this life. The Antichrist comes onto the scene and he says, I have all the answers to all the problems that you might ever face. Are you hungry? I can take care of that. Are you poor? I can take care of that. You need some return on investment? I can take care of that. Are you at war? Are you at conflict? I can take care of that. He comes onto the world scene and he promises all of this peace, but he can deliver none because he, he himself has no peace with God. You need to understand that you and I can't have peace with each other if we have not first received the peace which passeth all understanding that comes from God himself. You and I find ourselves bickering and arguing and contentious with one another in our relationships. A home finds itself in the middle of chaos. Why? Because we've lost our peace with God. Only by pride cometh contention, Solomon says. So when there's bickering or fighting or chaos, it's because one or both or all of us are responding with selfishness and pride, which is a sin. And we are responding with a Christ-like spirit, one that serves others, that loves others, that gives to others, that puts the needs of somebody else ahead of the needs of ourselves. The Antichrist, he promises these things, but he can't deliver it. John talks in his letters that this spirit, he says, this spirit is already in the world. So, so John is writing that in the first century. Think about this. John is writing that in the first century. He's saying even in the first century, that spirit was already there. Well, that spirit was already there then. But trust me, friend, that spirit is many. That's what he says later. That spirit is many where we are today. 
In fact, John says anyone who denies Jesus, anyone who hears the message of Jesus, the word of Jesus, knows the will of Jesus, the plan of Jesus, anyone who knows what Jesus has asked for them and from them, but says, no thank you, has been given over to a spirit of antichrist. It's an opposite spirit. I know what Jesus wants. I know what Jesus says. I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus has done. And I don't care. I'll do my own thing. I'll go my own way. I'll serve my own God. I'll do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want, and nobody will tell me any different. The Bible says that spirit is the spirit of antichrist. It's, it's, it's a spirit that is opposite of the spirit that Christ had. Notice this phrase, look at verse 14. He says, when you see this abomination of desolation, we'll talk about that in a moment, standing, notice this phrase, where it ought not. See that phrase? Where it ought not to stand. So what Jesus is, is aiming at here is he's reminding the children of Israel, he's reminding the Jews that were listening about the commandments that had been given to them at the very beginning, Exodus chapter 20. You're given the Ten Commandments. How many of you ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? Let me see. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? Let's see. Don't be careful. I might ask you. Take a test. Maybe, maybe I could get six or seven. I don't know if I get all ten. Do you remember the first one, though? No other gods before me. That's the first one. You think the Lord doesn't know how prone we are to want to serve everyone or anyone, even our own selves, before we serve him? No other gods before me. No idols, no bowing down and serving idols, no false worship, no, no pursuit with your life of all these other things. Instead, pursue God, put him first. Isn't this what Jesus says? And maybe the, the greatest sermon ever recorded, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Chapter 6, verse 33, he says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, sometimes what we do in our lives is we say, well, I'm lonely. Well the, well, the instruction to how to deal with your loneliness is to pursue Christ. Seek first Christ. And if you seek him, you'll find, a, you'll find a comfort for your loneliness. But what we do is we do the exact opposite, don't we? We say, well, I'm lonely. And I don't want to pursue Christ. I don't want to seek him. Instead, I'm going to, I'm going to seek something else. I'm going, to, I'm going to seek the companionship of someone else. I'm going to, I'm going to seek the partnership of someone else. And sometimes we find ourselves in life where we're frustrated. We're troubled by something. We're upset. The instruction from the Bible, seek first the kingdom of God. Bring me all your cares. Bring me all your trouble. Throw them all on me because I care for you. That's a promise. That's what the apostle Peter tells us. You can take all your trouble and care. You can give it to Jesus because Jesus cares for you. And the way that the Christian is to deal with this trouble or care is to seek Jesus first. No, we don't do that. We, we seek all kinds of other solutions. We get ourselves into financial trouble. We don't, we don't seek first the word of God. We start ringing up credit cards, all kinds of debt, get out of control spending. We find ourselves in a deeper pit than we were, than we were when we began. All because of what? All because instead of listening to Christ, instead of pursuing him, we've given ourselves over to a spirit that's anti-Christ. It's opposite of what Christ has said. It's in the other direction of what the Lord has called us to live. And the same is true. It ought not. That's what it says. That's an interesting phrase. Ought not. There's all kinds of things that we find ourselves doing, pursuing, that we ought not to do and or pursue. You say, well, of course, Pastor, I, I know this exists. I, I know the Antichrist is out there trying to, trying to get me. Can I tell you this? It's much worse than this. The reason this kind of evil exists and the reason this kind of evil is present in our world today is because according to the Bible, this kind of evil exists first in your own heart. Look, look, look back a few pages. Go, go, to, go to Mark chapter 7. 
So just turn back in the Bible, turn toward the front, just a few pages. You'll find chapter 7. We, we, we preached on this chapter already, but let's point it out again. I'll just remind you of a few things we said about it already. Look at verse number, four, look at verse number 15. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, look at verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Okay, so he's telling you where this evil comes from. The evil doesn't come from outside in. The evil comes inside out. The evil's already there, that's what he's saying. Skip down a little bit. Skip down to verse number 20. And he, say, and he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from, what's that word? What's that word? From within. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So look here, the reason, is what he's saying, the reason why evil exists in the world is because of sin. Where does this sin come from? This sin, we like to think of it, comes from everybody else. Well, the reason there's evil in the world because you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you might be the Antichrist, I'm not for sure, but you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you might be like Antichrist B. Jesus says, no, no. You want to know where most of the problems that you have in this life, you want to know where they come from? Not outside of you. Inside of you. It's the heart of the man that defiles the man. And the only way to overcome that is to get a new heart. This is what Ezekiel says, Ezekiel chapter 36, God promises this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit, listen, inside of you. I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit inside of you. You say, okay, well, I need some of that. How do I get that new heart, that new spirit? It's the only way to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledge your own sin. Repent of your sin. The word repent literally means turn, forsake, abandon it. You're going this way in your sin and your selfishness. You're going this way in your own ideas or philosophy. You're going this way in your own life. Well, then repent. To repent means to turn and go the other direction. In other words, you're going that way. Stop going that way and go the other way. Stop going that way and go the other way. Repent. Confess. Confess. Confession is a, it, it's a, it's an interesting word in the Bible. The confession, the word literally means agree. You say, well, if God already knows my sin, I've already done this sin, then why do I have to confess my sin? Because confession is agreement. It's, it's saying, okay, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I have sin. I realize this sin is coming from inside of me, not outside of me. Most of the problems I have in life are coming from me. I realize the direction I'm on, it's leading me not toward God, but away from God. So repent and turn and then confess and, and admit, Lord, I, I realize this is sin and wrong. I'm confessing it to you. I am in agreement with you that this is wrong. And then go after Christ. It's the theme, right? Follow Jesus. Follow who? Follow Jesus. This is how you receive a new heart. You follow him. You put your faith in him. You believe him. You trust him. Not, you don't trust yourself. You don't trust your own intuition, your own way, your own idea. You trust the Lord. How do we practically, like let's think of this for a second, for a pra practically for a second. How do we practically trust the Lord? Well, James tells you how you practically trust the Lord. If you love me, Jesus says to the disciples, if you love me, 
do what I command you to do. James says it like this. Don't be a hearer of the word only. Deceiving yourself, thinking that the truth is in you because you heard it. No, 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 it's not enough to be a hearer only. Be a doer of the word also. See, the, the evidence that you heard it is now you are doing it. The evidence that you have believed it, you're claiming it, you're holding to it, is that you're you're doing it. You say, okay, fine, I'm turning from my own way. I'm turning from my own word. I'm turning from my own idea, and I'm believing in the Lord. So I'm going to treat my wife the way the Bible tells me to treat my wife. I'm going to talk to my kids the way the Bible tells me to talk to my kids. I'm going to handle my resources or finances the way the Bible tells me to handle my resources or finances. I'm going to treat my neighbor the way the Bible tells me to treat my neighbor. I'm going I'm to pursue entertainments that the Bible tells me to pursue. The Bible is the answer to everything that we need in this life that pertains to life or godliness. It may shock some of you to know this, but the Bible has much to say about the attitude you have, the actions you take, the things you pursue. The Bible has much to say about these things. And yet many times we're running around with a spirit that is antichrist. I gotta, I gotta go quick here, so let me, let me get it to you. You have a couple questions here. What do we do when the Antichrist arrives? Well, look at the word. The word is flee. See that word? Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Look at verse 15. Let him that's on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of the house. And let him that's in the field not turn back again, for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. Look, look, here. all of that is speaking about this. When you see trouble, when you see destruction, when you see it coming your way, you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is seeing the trouble headed your way and then getting out of the way of it. Fleeing it. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to flee that. Only cowards run. This is how we think of it. It's not cowardice to move when you see trouble coming your way. It's wisdom that sees trouble coming your direction and then, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm fleeing it. The Bible tells you this command over and over. Flee also youthful lust. He says run from it. Don't play around with it. We forget how powerful sin is, how enticing temptation is. We forget how strong its hold is on us. We forget the way in which our minds can be shaped to think the philosophies or the ideologies of the world and, and how intoxicating that can be to the way in which we see the world or the things in which we do in the world. And so we're to flee it. We're to run. It's not cowardice to run. It's wise. Now you and I should get, look here, you and I should get as far as we wait, as far away as we can from a spirit that is anti-Christ. A spirit that is opposite Christ. Against Christ. Instead of Christ. We should get as far away from that as we possibly can. What should we do when the Antichrist arrives? He says, run. What will happen? That's the second question here. What will happen when he gets here? Look at verse 19. For in those days shall the affliction, for in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Sometimes in the Bible it's called, refer, referred to as the great tribulation. How many of you know this? The Bible says that in this life you shall suffer tribulation, right? We all have trouble in this life. We all have tribulations that we go through. This is not talking about tribulations, small t, the thing that we all experience. This is talking about the great tribulation. He says this affliction will be like such as was not from the beginning. 
That's what it will be when it gets here. So what are we supposed to do? So what are we supposed to do? Here's what he says. Pay attention. He says, stay awake. Pay attention. Stay awake. Look at, uh, look at verse 23. But take ye heed. Take ye heed. He says that. He says, pay attention right on the heels of saying, there are many people who come along in your life who claim to be Christ, but they are not. Not everybody who uses the word Christian is in fact a Christian. How many of you have learned this already? Not everyone who says they talk for Jesus even knows Jesus. And so he says, pay attention, take, take heed, stay awake. That's the, that's the calling, that's the response. Have this expectation. It's the arrival of the Antichrist. But I want to tell you this. The, the Bible is not telling you and I that we should run around with a, with a spirit that is always seeking out the Antichrist. Some people, they, they, they get a little loony in this. Who do you think the Antichrist is? If he's here today, which person is he, right? We're not supposed to be seeking out the Antichrist. We're supposed to seek Christ. We're not, our, our concern isn't about the Antichrist. Our concern should be with Christ. Don't spend your time trying to find out who the Antichrist is. Instead, spend your time reminding yourself of who Christ is. Don't, don't concern yourself with the kingdom of the Antichrist. Concern yourself with the kingdom of Christ. That's what he's saying. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things should be added unto you. So that's the second point. It's the arrival of Christ. This is verse 26. Look at it. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he shall send his angels and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. So learn a parable of the fig tree. So he's going to give you an illustration that's going to illustrate this. He says, learn this, learn this parable, learn this story. That the fig tree, when her branch is yet tender, putteth forth leaves. And ye know that the summer is near. So ye, in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the door. Okay, so how many of you, your favorite time of the year is uh, summer? Let me see, your favorite time of the year is summer? How many of you, your favorite time of the year is springtime? How many of you? How many of your favorite time of the year is the fall? You enjoy the fall? How about winter? Anybody? Favorite time of the year is winter? Okay. Different seasons. Each different season, the tree looks a different way. If it's spring, you've got these little blossoms that are forming on the flowers of the trees. It's about the, life, is a, life is about to flourish. That's what's happening there. In the summer, it's in full bloom. It's pretty. It's colorful. The leaves are full. They look strong. They look healthy. That's why you want to climb them. In the fall, they start to die. They turn orange or red, brown. You can know the season by looking at the leaves. No man knows the day or the time. No man knows when Jesus is coming. But you can know a season by looking at the leaves. That's what he's saying. You look around the world and you can go, wow. The spirit of the Antichrist is present. People are looking for help everywhere. The whole world is looking for help. Maybe since the first time since the flood, the whole world felt the same thing at the same time. It was a worldwide, you know the word? Pandemic. We all felt the same fear, the same hesitation, the same angst. All of us felt it at the same time. Looking for answers. You can look at seasons. And you can, you can know certain things are coming. Because of the season you're in. If you want to know if winter is coming. You don't wait 
for the snow to be there and no leaves on the tree. You know winter is coming because the leaves change colors. So when you see the leaves change colors, you go, uh uh, winter's coming. Winter's coming. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you can, no matter, look here, you can, no matter the season you're in, you can know certain things about me. Here's what you can know about Jesus. First, you can know that because of Jesus, there's hope in suffering. Because of Jesus, there's hope in suffering. That's what he says in verse 26. Look at it. Verse 26. And they shall see the Son of Man coming, notice this word, in the clouds. Not through them, but in them. We live in a world that's wrecked by pain, wrecked by suffering. And Jesus' return promises us this, this pain, this suffering, it's temporary. The clouds may look dark, but Jesus is in them. You and I don't have to simply try to get through it. You just have to trust Jesus in it. You know, you could, you could probably endure most things if you know when it's going to end. I can put up with a lot if I know, okay, there's an ending to this at some point. Sometimes when you're in pain, you know what you need to do? Remind yourself it's a season. It's a season. If you're lonely, it's a season. If, you're, if your body is racked with some kind of illness, it's a season. If you lost a loved one, it's a season. If your marriage is going through difficulty, if your parenting is going through difficulties, it's a season. It's just a season. The lie of the devil is that he wants to convince you that the way it is is the way to always be and there's no hope for you. So you might as well just give up. Now the promise of Jesus is there's always hope. There's hope in suffering. There's hope in suffering. Now with Jesus, there's power to forgive. It's really what he says in verse number seven. Notice he sends his angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the utmost part of the earth to the utmost part of heaven. You remember, why are they suffering? They're suffering because they're scattered. They're running. They're, remember, remember the instruction? Flee Judea, flee Jerusalem. Don't go back and down in your house and get your possessions. Just get out. Trouble is on its way. God's people were scattered. They were hated. They were maligned. They were abused. They were done wrong. When somebody does us wrong, what do we want? We want justice. We want to put them in their place. We want everybody to know how wrong they were. Not how wrong we were, how wrong they were. And you know what we become? We become focused on righting the wrongs. We're given over to it. It becomes an obsession. And the Bible calls that obsession bitterness. The Bible says bitterness is like a root. It starts like this big. But it grows up and it chokes out all of life. So the bitterness that we allow in our heart towards someone who's done us wrong, it isn't choking out their life. It's choking out our lives. Some, someone rightly put, bitterness is the only pill that I swallow, hoping it, hoping it poisons someone else. I'm the one staying there awake at night, argh, angry, argh, so mad at that person. Argh. They're the ones sleeping. I'm the one obsessed I'm the one trying to right every little wrong that I may hear. I'm the one frantically posting. Passive aggressively. They're the one just enjoying life. And because of Christ, we have the power to forgive. You or I do not need to right every wrong. Why? Because Christ is coming. He will right every wrong when he gets here. 
He takes care of it. Lewis says he makes all the bad things, the sad things, and the mad things, and he makes them untrue. He undoes it all, and he fills our heart with gladness. He fills our heart with gladness. You see, you and I, were so prone to focus on the bad things, mad things, and the sad things. And we want, we want to fill our own hearts with gladness, but we can't. We weren't meant for that throne. You and I, we aren't saviors. We aren't rescuers. We aren't God. Last thing, and we got to go. Because of Jesus and because he's coming again, we can have hope in suffering. We can have the power to forgive. We don't have to live with bitterness. Third, because Jesus is, suffer because Jesus is coming, we should be ready. The story in the text that we, that we started with was that the Son of Man, Jesus, is like a man who's gone away on a far journey. He's left the order and care of his house to servants, to different people. He's told a, a doorman to keep watch for him. He's, I'm coming back. I'll be back. I'll be back. He's dropped us off at the school of life. I'm coming back. In Matthew's gospel on this, same, on this same account, Matthew says that, that Jesus says that the Son of Man, he himself, he comes like a thief in the night. You know the, the thing about a thief coming? The thief never calls ahead. Wouldn't it be great if the thief made an appointment? Friday night, about 1.30. I'm going to come take your TV. Just FYI. What would you do if you knew that? You'd say, come ahead, Buster. I'll be sitting here with my shotgun waiting for you. I was with some of these men on this men's trip. This men's trip. Trust me, there's some shotguns in this room. Or you'd say, oh, man, the thief is coming. I'm going to, I'm going to call and tell somebody. You know, you know what you'd have? You'd have a, you'd have a readiness. You'd have a readiness. Now Jesus didn't give us an appointment. But he gave us his word. I'm coming back for you. Are you ready? Are you ready?